there are pockets of really rich data, but they're pockets and they're not well connected. So what we're doing is really pulling those pockets of data together and basically creating a picture of what goes wrong where and how often in cannabis supply chains, where stuff goes wrong and blows up in cultivation, where that happens in manufacturing, retail, last mile home delivery, where that happens in testing labs. Welcome to How to Flourish in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brian Weber. How to Flourish in Cannabis is a bi-weekly educational focus show with proven leaders in regulated cannabis. Our guests have a wide range of industry experience, lawyers, accountants, brands, growers, tech leaders, and more. One thing all our guests have in common is having a track record of success in this extremely challenging industry. Our guests are asked to give general educational knowledge of the subject matter they're experts in. No pitches here. This is designed to be a masterclass in regulated cannabis. Today, I am very pleased to have James Whipcomb. James is the founder of Frontier Risk, the first insurtech company entirely dedicated to the cannabis industry. James was the founding member and chairman of, and CEO of Parallel, which for many years was the country's largest private multi-state operator. When he led Parallel, he transformed the organization to a lean cost structure, able to win back substantial market share. Along the way, James noticed the problem of high insurance costs for cannabis operators and decided to do something about it, pulling together an expert team of cannabis operators and insurance executives for a truly new solution. James, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brian. Great to be with you. Well, before we dive into Frontier Risk and a little bit more about your background, one thing I want to ask all our guests is, what prompted you to get into cannabis? Like, I know your background. Uh, it's really amazing pedigree background. And then you're like, you know what? I'm going to go sell legal weed. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's certainly at the time, there was a lot more stigma involved in the industry. This was in the sort of late 2015, early 2016 timeframe. I was working on Wall Street at you know at a prestigious firm, and um, I you know I've, I've told this story before, but when I went to tell my managing partner that I was leaving and what I was leaving to go do, let's just say you know it it didn't even register with him. He couldn't even fathom why I would kind of go take you know that kind of financial risk, and more importantly, that kind of reputational risk, and walking away from something you know very stable. To be radically transparent about this, I didn't jump into the cannabis space at that time for you know an altruistic or mission-driven reason, to be honest. I jumped into it because I, I wanted to build a business. I wanted to build a business that sold products. Certain things in my personal life were, were decently flexible. You know, no wife, no kids. Uh, unlike now, we're very happily married with two children, but certainly would not have that flexibility for, for such a radical move today. Packed up my my U-Haul on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, and the next day was down in Atlanta, helping to get things really started back in parallel. Yeah, the first couple of years were just a complete blur. We were on the road all the time, just living out of suitcases, moving around, made it you know to the to the sort of upper tiers of, of Delta's kind of most premier SkyMiles program, my proudest accomplishment in my life. Time just melted together. It was very complex back then. And it was before I think everybody realized just how much capital 
it was really going to take to be a successful MSO. And, and we were really stringing things together and just kind of living check to check and, and making it work, you know, trimming plants during the day, you know, personally and balancing the books at night. I was the company's first CFO. Very quickly after that, I think it became personal for me um, and became more mission driven for me in the sense that, um, you know, I, I was spending a lot of time just working, operating out of our very first retail door in, on the north side of Tampa in Florida watching mothers coming in and, you know, back then it was a lot of oil-based products, right? That was before flour was legal in Florida. You know, so a lot of it was in tincture form in the early days, as a lot of folks will remember. And, you know, hearing, you know, hearing, witnessing personally mothers coming into the store, you know, with epileptic children and saying, hey, you know, after my child took this product, you know, they were able to not have a seizure for long enough, you know, to say mama or dada for the first time. And getting those testimonials within the first couple of months of, of leaving my Wall Street career, that changed me, right? And and that made it mission-driven, you know, from, from there on out. Yourself with Parallel, uh, with us here at, at, at Flourish, you know, we have a, a deep background. Uh, and, you know, as, as this show grows, I want to have leaders that are really well-versed and deep industry knowledge and, and really know some of the, the the more macro elements that are driving costs and still challenges within this industry. And that's really why I wanted to have you on today. And I really love what you guys are doing at, at Frontier Risk to be able to, to solve some of those problems. And it's, you know, like as a business owner, insurance is kind of like, you know, unless you're really into insurance, you kind of know some of the, the buckets that you have to check and why it's there. But there's a lot of mystery with it. And in the operators I talk to and like everything in this industry is just an extra cannabis tax. It's expensive, but um, uh, for people who are really attacking these problems head on, like you guys are, I wanted to speak, you know, you to speak today uh, from a macro perspective, and then also just from a, you know, more uh, actionable item of like, how can operators make better decisions uh, when buying insurance? Because although it's not the most sexiest topic in the world, uh, it is very expensive. And it's even more expensive if you don't get the right coverage. It does, it does impact the, the bottom line uh, very much. So um, so without further ado, we do have a, a bit of a schedule on, on some of the items that we wanted to go today. So today's subject, just to kick it off is why cannabis insurance is so tricky uh, and, and how to navigate it. And one of the first talking points, the actually the first talking point that we have here today is what are cannabis operators getting right and wrong with, with insurance? If there's one thing that cannabis operators can do in the self-help department, you know, in, in the realm of insurance, I think it's about better organization of data. You know, the reality is that cannabis companies capture a lot of data, right? They're, you know, they're required to use certain seed-to-sale software systems. Those systems capture hundreds, in a lot of cases, thousands of fields, right? And the more that they can be, I would say, you know, even militant about tracking and organizing their data, you know, in a structured way and passing that along to insurance providers, you know, specifically their insurance broker, the more that broker is going to be able to take that information and say, hey, look, Mr. Carrier, Mr. Reinsurer, operational trends in the grow have looked like this, right? Let, let's take a specific example. Every cultivator, right, is in the business of monitoring their environmental controls on an ongoing basis, okay? And, you know, if they open up their seed to sale tracking system, they can see where the humidity in a certain grow room is right now, 
And if they probably go back through their files and spend enough time sort of stringing things together, they can probably paint a historical picture of what humidity has been in a certain room over a certain amount of time, right? Getting more organized about that and sort of having folks in the organization that, you know, can carve out a few hours per week to get data more structured and more organized, you know, it allows a broker like me, uh, I'm not just a broker, right? We also we also are really a capacity provider as well on the MGA side. It allows folks like us to come in and look at that and say, hey, Mr. Carrier, hey, Ms. Ms. Mr. Reinsurer, you know, look how well they've been able to control their environment. Look at all the tools that they have to make sure that the property is not only staying sort of in harmony, but it's also not catching on fire, right? Which which is which is what folks who are underwriting property policies care about, you know, especially even as it relates to grow lights. That was one thing that when we were talking originally, grow lights have a huge factor in in insurance costs on that. Something I didn't know, but everyone who I've talked to in the lighting industry was like, Yeah, <laughs> we know that. <laughs> yeah, they, they they certainly look, I mean, the short story there, right? High pressure sodium, uh, more likely to explode, right? More likely to explode. Uh, have debris falling onto the plant, starting fire. That's that's one thing underwriters and canvas care about a lot. LED is the way to go from a from a pure risk perspective, uh, risk mitigation perspective. I'm not here to comment on you know the unique situations in which HPS actually produces a better flower. Yep, yep. That's uh, that's that. But just for more from insurance costs. Okay. So really, just to take away from that one is, if you're an operator, want better insurance rates on this, collect more data, better data, and, you know, present that to your broker for proof of, you know, operational consistency and, and reduction of risk uh, is really something that you can do, like, literally right today to help your insurance rates. Yeah, that, that's right. I mean, look, everyone's collecting it, right? I think it, I think the ask is, you know, take the time, carve out a couple of hours a week or put somebody on the job for a couple of hours a week to organize it in a way that shows trends. Um, because there are you know, there are middlemen like us who are educating reinsurance markets about what these trends mean. So if you show them to us, the message is going to get through to the ultimate capacity markets. And that's what solves the pricing problem. Well, excellent, James. Thanks for thanks for that uh, elaborating on that. You know, I know the next question that we have up here is how does a broker of record affect cannabis insurance costs? Yeah, th- this is a tricky one. Um, it's it's a mechanism that's unique to insurance. So basically what it means, right, is if you're a cannabis operator and you have a broker, uh, if another broker wants to come in and, and give you a competitive bid, they can't really do that unless you sign a contract with them that gives them the legal authority to go out and speak to the markets. And while that might not sound like much on the surface, the reality is it creates a lot of drama for the operator because uh, your incumbent broker gets notified about a new person coming in. There's jealousy, there's competitive tension. Typically, the incumbent broker is blowing up the operator's phone 50 times to say, hey, please don't leave me. But the reality is that the new broker to get competitive pricing and, and, and potentially much lower pricing can't get very far without that piece of paper. I find that kind of interesting to not switch carriers or brokers, but literally even just to get a quote from a different broker, there is a permission on there. I'm assuming that's some legacy rule in this industry um, <laughs> that's been here for ages. <laughs> it's been around for a long time. Look, you can get quotes. A new broker can get quotes for you. That'd be a war. 
But because there are so few capacity markets in cannabis insurance, your incumbent broker will have blocked all of them. And so the new broker won't be able to access the two or three or four cannabis insurance powers that be without getting that signed. In other industries, this is less of a problem because there are more capacity markets. Yeah. So how does a, a current operator right now maybe wants to search out other brokers for, for, for better prices? How, how would you recommend someone navigate you know, that, uh, that opportunity? Besides just honestly having an honest conversation with your current broker. Uh, but beyond that, if you really want to explore what's out there, how does, how does one go about doing that? The best thing you can do right, is ask your broker for a marketing summary. right, And that keeps your incumbent broker honest and on their toes and they have to demonstrate real and and you know written proof to you that they've reached out to you know markets one through four one through ten whatever it is and those markets have given you know response x y and z in terms of their general reaction and their pricing and if you're not asking them to do that every single year on your renewal your incumbent broker may just kind of press the re-up button you know, with, with your incumbent carrier and not work too hard to get rates down, right? Brokers aren't incentivized to get rates down um, because they earn commission. So market summary, ask your broker for a market summary. I like that. Cool. I know the next one that we had up here was um, how could, and actually this is a really important one, a very timely one, is how could rescheduling uh, affect insurance uh, within this industry? Um, you know, and just to cover this rescheduling currently schedule one, you know, talk of, of uh, the recommendation from HSS to reschedule to schedule three. It can only help. There are a couple of mega brokers and then dozens and dozens of carriers and reinsurers who I think will jump into the cannabis fray if and when rescheduling happens. And, you know, from what it's worth, I'm, I'm in the camp of, you know, highly likely in 2024, but probably not as early as some folks think in 2024. It, it goes back to my opening comments around, you know, how these decisions get made in the boardroom, right? Um, a lot of these companies are very, very large. The insurance industry is one of the largest industries on the planet, right? That and pharma are sort of the two biggest industries. You, you've got some very risk-averse sports, and what they need is a very strong signal from the federal government. And I think rescheduling is about as strong and official as you can get. They'll jump in. Uh, more players in the space means more competition. More competition means lower prices. So we do expect it to help a lot. But those insurers, you know, reinsurers, brokers, et cetera, they still need to understand how to price cannabis risk. Rescheduling doesn't guarantee that they'll actually understand how to price it. And so, you know, it goes back to my point around getting your data organized. Yeah, data organized and also understanding the needs of cannabis operators. You could, it could be okay to sell, but you know, like there's a lot of niche stuff within this industry, even after scheduling changes, like going with a broker that actually understands and has uh, experience within cannabis. Like, I think that's kind of a no brainer. Yeah, look, I mean, these large companies, right, they're going to want to move quickly, they're going to see the opportunity. And in moving quickly, they're going to say, okay, how can, how, how can we attack this? the fastest, let's use legacy CPG, legacy pharma, legacy tobacco, legacy alcohol, insurance application forms, because we think some amalgamation of those applications represents what cannabis is, right, from seed to sale. They're, they're wrong about that, right? It's unique, it's different. And so I think listeners who are operators need to watch out for that and make sure that brokers and, and you know, the carriers behind them are asking the right and, and relevant questions. 
that's uh, that's good. Well, we all hope that's going to happen this year, and well, it's on YouTube now. So if you're watching this in 2025, you'll hopefully know the answer. Um, but actually, speaking of that, like beyond just that, is like the news of of you know 2024. What are some other trends that you are seeing now with with cannabis risk and insurance? You know, from property, workers' comp, cyber, auto, crop insurance, DNO, like all those things. What are some of the trends that you see for, for this year? Is this you know still hindered in some ways and limited, but as it evolves within the current framework. Yeah, look, there's no question that markets are softening slightly from year to year. I think things remain really, really firm up until kind of late 2022. And then a few more capacity providers jumped in and all it took was one or two more to sort of bring things from X to kind of X minus 10%. But there's still a long way to go uh, as far as price is, is concerned. Property markets have normalized the most in cannabis insurance, uh, and that's because they're they're you know hard assets that that objectively have value that's that's understood across multiple industries. On, on the other end of the spectrum, you know, DNO coverage, I would say, um, while it's a professional line, obviously not in PNC, it it has softened, I think, substantially for private companies. Uh, not softened as much for public companies. I think there are a lot of public company DNO underwriters who are looking at, you know, most public stocks being down 90 plus percent over the last two years and thinking, okay, you know, what kind of litigation is going to follow here that we need to be on guard for. One more that I'll call out is cyber. This is where I see the biggest mismatch between what operators have versus what they should have. The reality is that cyber is is a relatively cheap coverage uh, that operators can get. In fact, it's one of the one of the cheapest that that we traffic in. It shouldn't be because cannabis operators are handling, in a lot of cases, very sensitive personal health information. In some cases, in fact, more you know more cases than I'm comfortable with, they're they're handling HIPAA applicable data. Insurance underwriters aren't always wise to this, and most cannabis operators, as far as internal controls surrounding data, just don't have you know HIPAA compliance safeguards in place. So if you're not going to buy a cyber policy, make sure that you have internal controls, you know, especially at retail point of sale. You know, retail workers that may be sending POS uh, sales data to management and that sort of thing that could contain patient data. Be really careful there. Because if that leaks or if there's a breach or a hack or something like that, um, it can metastasize pretty quickly. Yeah, that's uh, that's not good. That's good, some good actionable advice there. I was My follow-up was going to be like, well, how do we how do operators take advantage of some of these trends and, and make sure that they're covered? But uh, look at cyber coverage, something you'd add relatively cheap that uh, could have a pretty good ROI and also enforce some internal controls on that as well. This was this was a lot, James. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to go over this. And I, I think really the, the big takeaway that we have here is that the more organized structured data that can be obtained um, from the insurance industry will will help drive uh, the understanding of risk and those costs and hopefully those costs down because we're just you're I think operators are paying up for that lack of, of knowledge and just another another tax on, on cannabis operators uh, that exists out there and you know I love that frontier risk is is, is looking to solve that you know through through organizing that data and, and having that better risk there so any parting words James yeah look I mean, we're, we're bullish, right, on where this is all going. I think that uh, cannabis operators have been through a lot in the last couple of years. It's the most resilient group of people, uh, frankly, across any industry uh, in any country. 
something I'm very proud to be uh, proud to be a part of. And and we're we're here to help uh, at, at Frontier Risk. Um, we understand what cannabis data should look like, and um, we understand how to translate it for reinsurers to bring lower prices to the market. That's what we're here to do. And we've been through the ringer, just like everybody who's an operator that's listening. We're on your team. We're on the industry's team, and uh, we're looking forward to making a dent in pricing here. I love it. I love it. So, um, you know, for how for anybody's watching, they want to get a little more information. Um, you know, probably contact with you. Um, you know, ongoing or just follow some industry trends. What is the best way for for people to contact either yourself or, or Frontier Risk uh, ongoing? The best thing to do is go to frontierrisk.com. You can apply for any line of coverage right on our website. Very easy, frictionless. We also have an insights section where. I talk about everything from my views on cat weather events to rescheduling to, you know, very sort of micro trends across different insurance lines. Some of it's exciting. Some of it's the type of thing you you want to fall asleep to. For, for those that love inside baseball stuff on insurance, that's where you go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. James, well, I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for being on. We're looking forward to where you're on there. And thanks for giving some, some actual advice and, and some knowledge to our audience and, and helping our operators make some better decisions today and then going down the line. So thank you, James. Thanks for having me.